Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Rick Morton. All right, welcome again to the Think Orphan podcast. I'm Rick Morton along with my co-host, Phil Dark. Phil, how are, how are things in California today? It's going all right. It's going all right. You know, I mean, we're still in the midst of the COVID craziness in California. I mean, it, people are saying for some reason that it's, it's closed. They might be closing back down again, but most people in California are saying, when did it open up? So, you know, and that's, that's really the question I'm asking, at least here in Sacramento County. So other than that, man, you know, just plugging away, continuing to do what we're feeling, uh, feeling led to do out here and getting excited about our guest today that we have on. How are you doing? Fantastic. I mean, I'm good. We're, you know, we're kind of beginning to get back to normal a little bit, whatever normal looks like. Actually took my first trip this past week and and so got got out there and got back with Delta Airlines and spent a little time with them this week and feeling good about, you know, just about how things are progressing. Things are, you know, things seem to be normalizing a little bit and ministry stuff's going well and we're finding, you know, finding different ways to accomplish things. It's been uh, you know, it's been a wild ride, but it's it's kind of nice to be settling into the fall and into a little bit of a rhythm. Our kids are going back to school five days a week here in about another week. And so we're, you know, we're cautiously optimistic at this point. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I, I, got, I saw somebody the other day on, on Facebook that were saying they're heading off to Zambia from the United <laughs> States. So I thought, man, it's looking, it's looking like normal, except there was no one on the plane right. with him. So I think that it was like this false sense of, oh man, it might be normal soon. It was just weird, you know, being on a plane. I mean, you know, we do this all the time and, and, and what was weird, nobody, nobody talked like it was Mm -hmm. completely silent on the plane and people, people just, you know, wouldn't look at each other or talk to each other or anything else. And, and, and it's definitely weird having, you know, the airports at that low of a capacity, but, but we made it and we didn't, you know, get COVID along the way. And so, you know, praise the Lord for one, for one more good trip. And absolutely. We'll, we'll see what happens. Well, you know, we're not going to bore everyone out there with more of our conversations about airplanes and how full or not they are. So we're going to get to this interview, which I have no doubt will be more interesting than this conversation we just had. So, I mean, some of you may have been fascinated by it. So I, I, if that, if that is the case, we set the bar really low and now we're going to just blow you away with this conversation we're going to have today with Spencer Reeves. He is a great guy that I've gotten to know over the last few weeks prepping for this interview and just being able to have conversations with him about the great work that he and his organization are doing in Haiti. He works, he is the uh, executive director of Child Hope International that does work in Haiti, as we were talking about. And we're going to talk with him about all that they're doing, the transitions they're going through, what they're learning, and hopefully what you can learn from them. So as we always ask you, you know, if you haven't done so already, rate and review the show, connect with us about this episode, about any other episodes that you've talked about, you can do so at info at thinkorphan.com. We've also started up a Facebook group. And if you do enjoy the conversations we're having here, we're going deeper in that Facebook group, been asking about, you know, guests that you might want on, but getting questions you might want to ask the guests that we're having on some other cool things that we're able to do in there that we haven't done elsewhere. So it's just a little more, a little deeper than you might go just listening to the podcast. So with that, let's get to this interview 
with Spencer Reeves. Spencer, welcome to the Think Orphan Podcast. Thanks, Phil. Well, we're excited to get into this today. And, you know, we just introduced you as the executive director of uh, Child Hope International. And, but I know there's a lot more to you than just that. So why don't you just take a minute and briefly introduce yourself to our audience and how you got uh, involved with Child Hope, how you've gotten involved with caring for orphan and vulnerable children. Yeah, you bet. Well, by God's grace, I'm a married man with three beautiful kids, and that's my family life. But uh, Child Hope began for us, my wife and I, in Redondo Beach, California. We were part of a small, vibrant church that um, really in the same season launched two families out of that church to go and plant orphanages mm-hmm. in missions. And one went to Mexico and one went to Haiti. And so we we knew these families in the church. We came around them, you know, prayed, prayed with them as they transitioned. We were going down to Mexico once a month, supporting that family down there, but really trying to learn during that season. Kind of fast forward, that was, I think, 2004, but after the earthquake in Haiti, we, my wife and I knew that if we were there, we would want people that we knew to come and help. It was massive earthquake and so we formed a team and we we decided to go and that was the beginning of God preparing us to eventually move there alongside Child Hope. We went on a short-term mission, came back, I went again six months later with another team and within two years we we were moving there as a family. We spent a year preparing and raising support and we we joined the work in Port-au-Prince. Yep. Spencer, that's a, that's an awesome story of just the, the, the way that God moved you from, you know, from being that, that volunteer and that person that was, you know, that was connected, but kind of at a distance to, you know, to all in. And, and, you know, one of the things I know at Child Hope, you guys are undergoing a transition at this point and, and kind of really yeah. changing your ministry model from, you know, more from an institutional model to a family-based care model. What What's that been like? You know, could you kind of talk about maybe some of the just kind of some of the broad strokes of what led you there. And then, and then maybe let's dig into, you know, kind of talking about the transition and how that, how that's progressed. Sure. Sure. You know, like in your first year in missions, when you move overseas, you, you, you get put right next to the fire and you get purged and pruned. And we went through that in a big way. And, and a lot of it, you know, some was relational, some was, I don't understand the orphan parent connection. One of the big stories for me was leaving work one day. I was hosting a team and uh, was leaving after hours. And I saw a kid up on the wall talking to a woman who was selling mangoes on the street. And he called me over. He said, Spencer, come here, come here. I want to introduce you to my mom. And I was, and it just, it froze me. And it just like, why does this have to happen like this? And I didn't know you had a mom. And, and it really just showed there was way more that I needed to understand, both culturally in the in the poverty, and that kind of led us into a stirring. We didn't know what it was, but we ended up stepping away from Child Hope itself, you know, kind of blessing and and moving to the side to 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 really ask hard questions, learn language, 
I did some other ministry with the local church, but I wanted to, I wanted to know more. I wanted to understand this crisis that was unfolding. Mm -hmm. And in 2016, we were invited back to the ministry. The beloved founders transitioned back to the States and some friends had covered for a gap year and, and they thought they might be there longer, but they, they were transitioning too. And they, invited us back in and, and it really gave us an opportunity to take the knowledge we had and, and to say, this is how we may try to do this if, if we step into this role. <laughs> and, you know, by God's grace, the, the things had come together and, and the board was in a place and the org was in a place to, to receive that. And it was, it was kind of a condition as we stepped into it, but it was, we wanted to run a case model. We wanted to see if these kids had families and see if God was already working in their families to, to restore and, and do that. So we began a, a family tracing project. We, we began to learn a lot, knowledge share. We partnered with anybody doing family-based care that we could think of. CAFO was a big resource for us. We were really green in that. We invited people to come and speak at our board meetings. Ellie Oswald came over the mountains. We met in Ellensburg and just, she just shared what, you know, faith to action stuff, the transitioning to family-based care toolkit. That was, that was our (laughs) Bible that, you know, like, how do we do this? What are we going to do? And God just provided everything we needed at the right time, both, both structurally and, and he's continuing to do that. And so we began, we hired social worker one social worker and he just started finding family, family tracing. Mm. And then we, we went from there and just started inviting family back to the table. But we had a, we had a legacy model that really needed to be addressed with our donors. Mm. And that was, that was a, a really big step and one that we had, we were encouraged not to take it lightly, you know, try to over communicate as much as possible about the directional changes, the reasoning why we're making changes, why we're going in this direction. And so that's still going to this day. It's been four years and we're still at times connecting with donors that just say, you know, I'm, I don't know if I understand this. Why, why are you doing this? And, but a majority of the support just blessed it and said, wow, that's wow. Great. There's family. Great. You know? So what about like, obviously there are, I mean, you've got all kinds of constituency groups that are a part of that, you know, your, your own staff, your own team, the people in the community around you, your board, others, like, could you, could you kind of go maybe a little, a little deeper into how, you know, kind of how you expanded the vision and, and, and sort of what was the, what was the rhythm of the way that you brought all of those groups along in order to help them mm-hmm. to, to buy into this unified vision to move toward family-based care. Yeah, I think, I guess we'll start with staff. With staff, we really needed to come in with a new mission and vision. And that was, had already been in the works. So we just kind of solidified that. And my first week, I just shared, this is the vision and mission that we're doing now, that we're going in. And But I also really didn't come out and say, hey, we're, we're gonna reunify all the kids to their families. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really gave the staff time to process what is family-based care. And I expressed, we're going to start searching for families and invite them to be a part of the kid's life. And uh, so I, I would kind of categorize it as soft, 
a soft sell into it. There was some objection up front and about the poverty, about, you know, them not being able or capable and, or maybe it wasn't the best idea from some staff that, but when I bring it back to the personal level of family and my staff's children, <laughs> you know, and, and why do you, where does your child sleep at night? Why do you bring them in close? Why do you care and comfort and feed and protect? And, and these, these things that children need to develop, you know, the, the staff understood it. They knew it was the right, right thing to, if possible, <laughs> they had a lot of yeah. doubt, like, I don't know if you're going to be able to, but I understand that. And that's, I think that's tribute to, to, you know, the leaders before me in the organization and the, the, the ministry development in the hearts of the staff. And so, yeah. Well, so kind of four years in how, like talk a little bit about the progress you've made and, and like where, where you sit today versus, you know, versus where you were with, you know, kind of with a dream and an idea that you were trying to, yeah. you know, trying to bring people along to. Yeah. Well, it's been like um, kind of blind, blindfold, you know, just feeling our way through <laughs> scenarios. It's like, Oh, so-and-so's family. Great. Let's see where this goes. You know, Oh, we got this, you know, nothing was guaranteed. I want to just preface too. We went through in my first year, we went through a massive audit. <laughs> by the government that nearly closed our doors and God miraculously mm. provided in that moment. But that put a lot of work on hold financially. And then since then, we've had crisis after crisis mm. between sickness, chikungunya, Zika, you know, political unrest, protest for about three years now. And a lot of shelter in place scenarios, we evacuated twice during that time. We had a lot of disruption, but my biggest concern was doing it well and and taking the time to make decisions. I didn't I didn't want to rush anything. I knew the poverty was very very real, and even in the process of our family reunification, we'd find family members, and I think we lost almost five family family members in the period of time of mm. bringing them back to the table. And it's not, it was mostly poverty related, some violence, some just sickness, lack of help. We didn't know scenarios were unfolding, accidents, vehicle accidents, just, just hard things. And those, those were difficult because you brought a child into that relationship and now they're processing, you know, a pain in that, but overall, I, I, I just really wanted to build the process. We've, re we've reached out to a lot of our partners and we continue to try to grow and learn. We ask a lot of questions and we're, I'm taking state social workers, you know, that, that, are, that are graduated from the university in Haiti and we're representing this approach. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's a lot of dialogue, a lot of time spent with them, getting the mission vision and, and learning as we go on how to, how to work with the families and, and, you know, best support them. So, man, I appreciate hearing, I just, you kind of even talking about the messiness of it and, and the fact that, you know, this is not a, 
this is not an academic project, right? Like this is, this is not something happening in theory. It's happening in people's real lives. And that that's, that's hard and it's difficult and there are challenges and there are always going to be challenges. And I mean, we've talked a lot, you know, on the show about the, the, we can find reasons why not to make these changes, right? Like we can always say there's a crisis looming. There's something that's keeping us from it. And man, it's great to, it's just great to hear you tell your story that in spite of all of those challenges, in spite of the big questions that don't have, you know, clear answers that are kind of in, that are in front of you, that you're, that you're still, you know, very patiently walking out that vision. One of the things that you, that you've done that, that I, I think is just really cool is your family sponsorship program. And, you know, in, in that, that's just a, that's a concept that we're, you know, we're all familiar with child sponsorship programs and that's, you know, that's so prevalent in, in our world, but, but the idea of, of providing sponsorship and assistance for a family is, is really kind of out of the box. And I'd love it if you just kind of talk our listeners through that a little bit and just kind of talk about what you guys did and and maybe a little bit about how that works. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely in extreme poverty. It's something that you have to be really careful with and you have to measure everything you do against dependency and creating dependency. And, and so, I mean, for us, we needed, we needed a way to, to uh, bring the donors along in this journey. And as we were reunifying children back home, we, we gave our, our donors the opportunity to, to continue to support uh, this child in their family or to transition their support, you know, elsewhere in the organization. And almost, you know, we've had, we've had almost 10 years, I think, of, of building child sponsorship, you know, around the kids and just really reinforcing support around a child. And we needed to get we needed to kind of say, hey, now there's a family involved. Mm-hmm. And I know it's, it feels really personal because you've been supporting this child, but how cool is it there's, an, there's a family? And do you want to step into this journey with us? And if so, we'd love to, to move you into a family support model. We're exploring how that relationship's going to look still in mm-hmm. terms of uh, support and communication and updates and protection of privacy and all those things that play into to a sponsorship scenario. But yeah, most of the donors said, yeah, I would love to, I would love to. And it, and so now we're giving, we give some updates on the family, the child's back home. We've done our third follow-up and they're doing well and, and they're going to school and thanks for your support along those lines. We're also presenting it to new, new donors, people that want to get behind the work we're doing when we start sharing some of the data in Haiti and globally, you know, this 80% number, this kids in orphanages in third world countries, you know, have families nearby. Mm -hmm. Chances are really high that there's family nearby. When we start sharing that, you know, people get really interested and the idea of getting kids back into a family scenario, we're, it's new to people. There's a lot of fear, I think, especially in the church, like fear of the families, if they're good or bad, or mm-hmm. are they Christian or non-Christian? Are they, you know, like these things come up and, and we just have to trust the process and, and give them an opportunity to, to come alongside. And it's been, 
it's been turning out well so far. So you, you talked a little bit about the, you know, kind of the idea of, of not creating dependency. And, and, yeah. and so there's, I think there's a balance probably in that, you know, in that idea of, of wanting to support, but wanting to, to enable and to empower people to, you know, to be able to provide for themselves. There's also an efficiency piece to this as well, that, that, that you're able to help your donors to see that the, the resources go further in, in a lot of respects when, when you're supporting families. Could you kind of delve into that a little bit and just the way that, way that you guys kind of have shaped this and talked about it and, and help donors to identify with that? Yeah. Well, I think, I think the dependency trap is always present when, when we begin a reunification with a family and they have zero hope <laughs> and they have zero hope for tomorrow. They're living day to day. And when we start kind of moving in the direction of like, look, I hear that you don't have money for school, but we could maybe continue our support in school. It's like they, they start, you know, breathing in that hope again. And it, the, the, the stumbling blocks become less, less as you know not as big and for a family to take in their child again in the context of poverty so with our staff i'm constantly talking about we need to empower encourage 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 bring partners in net, network all of them know that we are constantly looking for partners to network with that we can maybe create a wraparound something mm. <laughs> around this family, whether it's a pastor, a church, a businessman. And we try to just empower them and encourage them. One of the things that we're, we're exploring in the family sponsorship is, a, you know, like a microfinance, it's not really a loan. Mm. It's more of a income generating activity that we, we help them either start or we enhance what they're what the how they're surviving already and so we're we're tweaking that and but that's that's been great and as we the challenge that we have as an organization is i'm looking at i have one leg in legacy by budget of a of a home operations generator vehicle staff school food shelter rent you know i have one foot there and then i have one foot in where we're going as we start you know, downsizing kids or, or getting kids back into families, we're shifting those dollars and trying to shift those dollars into a support model that I want to be clear too. the family sponsorship is at no point. There's, is there money just yeah. <laughs> handed out? It's really worked through a process. If, if it's uh, medical, you know, we're, we're helping them pay that, that bill our social worker is, or, our supervisor is. So uh, did I ask, answer your question? I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you did. And, and, and I obviously appreciate with, with dependency. Yeah. I, and I appreciate you even linking that back to the, to the activity of the social worker and, you know, and that, and the idea that they're, you know, that you're, you're helping to bring those resources to bear and, and helping to guide that. This isn't just an, an enabling where you're, you know, you're not just sending checks to families or, or, or paying bills or those kind of things, but you're really working with them 
to to meet needs, but to help them get you know farther along and and yeah. reach goals that you're you know that you're helping them to set as well. Yeah, and with with aid, whenever you have aid, you know you have the risk of dependency, and so if you don't have that empowerment and ending timeframes, if that's not kind of clearly stated, those are really two critical pieces. And, and so we do kind of project out timeframes with the families. You know, we try to set some expectations. We're going to continue supporting the kids through school as far as they want to go. And as far as God allows us to, that's one of our goals with the families. So if they continue doing well in school, we, we want to continue supporting that. And, and our aftercare, once a child goes home, we, we continue that for a year if it's needed. It's a two-way street. They can call us. They can call us at any time. We have mental health on staff that can meet with them. That first year is so critical for its conflict resolution. It's, you know, they're learning how to live together again, kids and families and, and trying to find that rhythm. And so it is messy. It's messy, but it's, we're getting a call here and there and we're able to sit down with them and work through it and, and encourage them. Awesome. It's messy in my family. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the conflict resolution. Absolutely. Yeah. Now that's something yeah. with the, with that Spencer, I mean, with having, you know, an orphanage full of kids that are now being reintroduced into or introduced back into families or into families, some of which have never been part of it outside of the institutional setting, right? So have there been any instances, as we talked earlier about kind of pitfalls, some issues, whatever, with the donors, with staff, but with the kids and the families, have there been any issues that you guys have have encountered over the last few years as far as, you know, oftentimes with, uh, unfortunately, with adoptions, there's issues with bonding, there's issues on both sides with parents and the kids. Have you guys seen that in the in the context of these reintegrations, reunifications? Have there been any that have have failed from the standpoint of the kids have not stayed with the parents for any reason? How have you? I know you talked about having people on call, but how have you guys, if you've encountered any of that, how have you navigated those situations? Yeah, I appreciate the question. It's because it's not it's not simple. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's very complex. It's it's we do. I think one of the reasons we went, we go slow in our reunification is we try to really dive into that family to understand why this child was at child hope. Like what happened in that season of life for you mm-hmm. and really understand that pain and, and with the child and then try to work through it with the child on the front end. But as we know, most kids in orphanages have attachment disorders of some sort. They have very unique ways of connect, <laughs> connecting with people. Mm-hmm. And some, sometimes that's healthy. Sometimes it's not so healthy. And so it would be lying if I said, oh, they were just, they were great. They just, they bonded and loved each other and they were fine. We've got a couple of those scenarios. But the kids that were in the orphanage longer there's there's less attachment happening and that's just cause and effect but we're we're really trying to find alternative s- situations as we go into a reunification we really build out the family tree 
so we know exactly who's around that's part of that family and we try to connect with all of them uh, aunt uncle siblings on live down the street we try to connect with all of them so they're aware of the situation we invite their support and if if needed and in one case one child actually went and lived with an aunt instead of the the mom and so we've had that actually in two cases already so kinship care is really critical to that neighbors <laughs> the zone the people that live around men and women of peace that that are in the area yeah we 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 bring in people from from every area as much as possible Spencer, do you guys do anything with the, like with the parents as, as you're seeking to reunify with regard to things like attachment and trauma and, you know, things like, things like that. Do you guys provide resources to the families in that regard? To, to a degree, it's mostly oral, it's all oral. So mm -hmm. we, we uh, invite the families in for parenting classes where mm -hmm. we, we talk about early childhood trauma Actually, a, a group out in Grecia created a, a parenting curriculum that we've been using in Haiti. But they, they, have, they have a school out there, and they're using it with parents of kids in their school. And so we've been doing that, and it's, it's been really a positive, but we're, we're looking to grow. We're looking to grow our, our TBRI training and try to have have better resources for the families when mm. when they needed uh, when it's needed you know the reading you know a lot of families can't read or maybe some of them aren't aren't able to and so all sorts of challenges yeah so spencer yeah you know i mean i think that as we know I, you, I, I love the transition. I love everything that, that you guys are doing there. I, I mean, as anybody who listens to this show at all knows that I love the fact that you guys are working with other organizations to get this stuff done with, with several of our friends who have been on this show and that are friends of ours as well personally. So, you, have, you know, with, in your, as we've talked about offline, you're working with the people that you need to be working with. And as I, I love that you're a learner clearly, and you're coming alongside and saying, Hey, you know, we don't know it all. Can you guys help us to help these children, help these families? And we're, we're, we have open hands to receive what you, what you give. So if you're listening to this, you have stuff to offer, whether in Haiti or elsewhere, I've strongly encouraged you to get in touch with, with Spencer and child hope. But you guys, it's, that's not all you're doing down in, in, in Haiti. You know, as anyone listening, if you've paid, paid attention at all to news over the last 20 years or so, Haiti's gone through, seems like disaster after disaster after disaster. And, and, and just nearly avoided a few others, right? And so, you know, what, what else is, is Child Hope doing really to provide the aid and empower the nationals to address those issues, to reverse the trends of poverty and societal issues in Haiti? You, know, you have a Future Hope program. Can you talk about that as well as anything else you guys are doing that, that would help others to, whether they're in Haiti or elsewhere, to hopefully be encouraged to how to enter into some of these tragedies to help kind of reverse these issues that we see. Yeah, that's a, that's a challenging one. You know, like the organization, the history of child hope had a, 
a huge impact in the neighborhoods in in Port-au-Prince where they were based after the earthquake. So critically from a feeding program to a medical clinic to uh, school for the kids. And they grew, you know, almost five times overnight, you know, when, when after the earthquake. And so they just really poured into the community. We, we do some, some food aid to our families when needed and to our graduates when needed. But as we, as we look at the kids in our care, we need to be asking the question while they're in our care, how are we preparing them for outside? How are we um, setting them up experientially, emotionally, physically, developmentally to be ready for a Haiti, the reality of a Haiti. And one of the ways we did that, you mentioned the future hope program. This is something that was really on the organization's heart for many years, but we wanted to create opportunities. We tried to create small businesses and let the kids be part of it and uh, a woodworking shop and they got experience, but it kind of fizzled off. And so we took another approach where we approached the businesses and they say some of the scarcest resources in Haiti is opportunity. And so we began approaching businesses and we just leveraged my kids soccer team like in Haiti, the parents, the families, we networked with business owners as much as possible. And we empowered our, our staff to, who does your family know that owns businesses? And we really tried to uh, sit down with them and say, hey, did you know about orphanages in Haiti? Do you know that there's 35,000 kids sitting in, in homes right now? that at 18, they have, to, they have to transition out of the home, whether they have a family or not. And most of these businesses were just kind of shocked at the numbers. And, and we began talking to them about internship programs from that. And so we've been cultivating that for a couple of years. Before a lot of the, the crisis, political crisis in country, we had almost 14 internships happening at a grocery store, a hair salon, at a dealership and a small technology company and really just giving these kids experience. So that's the primary role of the future hope manager to prepare the kids, create life plans. So when they, they're out on their own, they've got a target. They have a goal to, to continue with the school or during summertime to get an internship and and we, we expressed with the owners that we hope that this leads to a job. And we hope that they prove themselves. We do a little MOU agreement with, with the owners and lay out the expectations. And it's, it's, gone, it's gone well. Uh, the businesses in Haiti are really struggling right now, which has really slowed the program down. And they're struggling because of the inflation, because of the safety issues happening in country right now. So. Yeah, it's really but, cool to hear the the way that you guys have focused on the collaboration with both, you know, both with the private sector and with, you know, with other folks that are in child welfare. I mean, you're kind of bridging the gap and, and, you know, bringing a coalition of people together. And uh, it's a really great picture, I think, of, of what we hope, you know, more people will do and, and, you know, ways that you can be entrepreneurial in the way that you, that you help to, 
you know, help to transition kids into independence and, you know, give yeah. them hope and give them a future. It's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's challenging. You know, uh, Phil, I don't know how much time we have, but, you know, God continues to kind of open the door for helping other organizations transition in this process. And what I'm finding since I've been back stateside is there's a lot of churches wondering how to best support this relationship they have already in Haiti mm-hmm. and with an orphanage. And since I've been here, I've connected with a couple, two separate orphanages and they're asking the really hard questions. And so, I mean, to churches, if anybody's in their church with their church missions board, if you're, if you're sitting there and wondering about your relationship with the orphanage in Haiti, you know, ask, ask the questions, look into family-based care. And I'd love to, we'd love to talk with you. I could point out many others as well as Phil and Rick would love to talk to you guys as well. But Phil, you connected me to Mr. Aspergreen in, in Costa Rica. And that, that's been a, just a real encouragement as well. So I appreciate that. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a gem. He's a guy who is a tremendous resource for so many throughout, throughout Latin America in particular, but I know he's ventured out past that too. So if you don't know Phil, he's actually another Phil, so that's probably why you said Mr. Aspergren, because I don't know that anyone's ever called him Mr. Aspergren, and he's probably offended that you called him Mr. Aspergren. I hope but he's not offended. No, <laughs> he's not offended. I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, Phil Aspergren, Phil and Jill at, at Casa Viva in, in Costa Rica are fantastic, fantastic people who have been doing this a long time and have, just have a heart to help others. And so, But I, I echo what you said, Spencer. I mean, if you're looking to go through the transition and it's just something that you're even interested in. You've never really heard of it before. I I do. I encourage you to reach out to some of the people and, and reach out to Ellie Oswald with faith action and their transition, you know, the, the roadmap, because that's great. But maybe if you're just considering it, Spencer would be a great guy to talk to because they're, they're in the middle of it. So they're closer to the, to the action, so to speak. You know, if you want to know how to play football, you might want to go read a book or, or watch, you know, a game or talk to a coach. But if you want to know what it feels like to get hit, you're probably going to go talk to somebody who's playing the game. And, you know, that was for Rick, that football analogy there. So I'm um, sorry. I, I thought yeah. you were talking about your, your football that you always talk about, which yeah. isn't really football. But it applies I, just, to that too. Until I, I said hit. I hear and then, you. I so, hear you use the word football and then I glaze over. Yeah, I, I know. Don't really, you know. Now, let's be honest, well, hey, Rick. You, you know, were super impressed with that analogy. I, I could see it on I, your face. I so. really was. I think, I, like, I think you may actually be, I may be bringing you over <laughs> to, the, to the dark side a little bit. This is, this is encouraging. Well, so, Spencer, there are a couple of, there are a couple of questions that we always want to, to make sure that we ask our guests and, and just a way for our listeners to be enriched a little bit by, by the things that are, that are important to you, things that are feeding you. And so one of those is like, what have you read or watched or listened to that has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? Wow. I I have like so many, so many people, you know, I, a good friend really downloaded me in Haiti, Joseph Bataille. He's a, Haitian American, beautiful man of God. And he just really taught me about the orphan scenario in Haiti. 
during our transition time with the organization. I think of the context that orphanages are birthed out of in, in poverty. A few years ago, we got to hear Jaya Kumar speak, Christian. He's, he's from India. He's the country director with World Vision there. But he started unfolding <laughs> these elements of poverty. He writes a book, I think, God of the Empty-Handed. And just some of the stuff really resonated with me as we looked at these families, as we worked with these families in, in poverty, as we lived just everyday life in Haiti. That was really, those are really critical lessons, I feel like, um, hearing him speak. So I'd recommend that. Yeah. And then all the people that have impacted us, like Million Home, Agape, all the people in family-based care that are providing, cranking out these resources and this data has been so, so helpful for us to, to steer, I, I think, I would hope in excellence and, and make sound decisions and, and, you know, effectively change our model of care. So. Fantastic. Well, Spencer, thank you so much for, for coming on the show to share your wisdom, share what you're going through, through this transition to share the, the, the struggles to share the, the just exciting rejoicing that you're having with some of these reunifications, but to know really, you know, the realities of it too. So I just very much appreciate your, your vulnerability, transparency, sharing throughout, throughout this interview. So thanks a lot, Spencer. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Well, thanks so much, Spencer, for just, as I said during the interview, sharing from your heart, sharing what you guys are going through there at Child Hope. Rick, what'd you think of that? Man, you know, really good interview and just thankful for Spencer and and for the work that they're doing and and trying to, you know, trying to flip the script a little bit and change their model. And and I know they're, you know, they're very much at the the beginning of this journey in a lot of ways, but, but I think it was, it was very thought provoking and glad we had a, we had an opportunity to visit with him. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, usually we're talking with people who are either, you know, doing studies on the theory side of these things yeah. or, you know, just on the other side of it where they've gone yep. through the, and they're training others on how to do this transition. It's really interesting to talk to somebody in the middle of it. And, you know, and that's kind of, you know, the analogy that I used about if you, you know, the football, right. It, right. it was, you know, to be able to, understand when you're actually in the game right to, to yeah. talk with somebody kind of in the middle of the game they're in the middle mm -hmm. of playing this thing right and so I, and I kind of felt like that even during the interview that he was he was actually processing some of it as we're going which was kind of yeah. cool you know like that was just it's different than the norm you know what'd you feel about that did you feel the same a little bit yeah Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, I was, I was kind of sitting here thinking too, it'll, it'll be fun to talk to him in, in about four more years, hmm. you know, you know, give them, give them a little bit more time. I, I think cause they're, they're very much in process and kind of in, you know, in the midst of they're kind of building the plane and flying it all at the same time. And, and it, you know, you could tell in the interview that he's still, he's still wrestling with some of these things. And I, I think, you know, is probably felt even a little reluctant to go out there and, and, and say many things in a declarative way because, because they are so much still in process. But I, you know, I laud the fact that he, he came on, like he came on yeah. to talk about this and, 
and and wanted to you know wanted to present kind of his ministry and where they are and the things that are important to them even when you know admittedly he doesn't have it all you know completely figured out and yeah. and I think I think that's a that's a healthy place for all of us to be absolutely absolutely you know because you know, I think a lot of people think you know we don't know we don't know anything. We're not going to share anything. And I'm, I'm not saying at all like that they didn't know anything. Of course he knows. I mean, he knows a yeah. ton, probably way more sure. than he was. But he like you knows, said. He probably doesn't know how much he knows. That's right. That's right. Well, I remember interestingly on that, like with, with uh, In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence, we had one of the authors. I'm not going to name which one, but she, you know, she felt I'm too young. I don't have enough experience. I don't mm-hmm. know much in this area. And I just said to her, I said, I gave up. It's, it's a her. I said, look, you know, 99, you know, more than 99.9% of the people in this world about your subject. Right. And you know what? The point zero zero one or whatever it is, they're not going to read this book. Right. So, and that, and that's really the, the reality is we, we often have the curse of knowledge where we we're talking to people and we're talking above, but oftentimes too, we sell ourselves short with what we actually know. And, yeah. you know, and I think that that is, I think it's just kind of human nature a little bit. It's not terrible to have a, that humble posture. Actually, it's a great thing to be learning continually as we talked about through the interview. And, that, and that's something I just, you know, I encourage people out there doing this work is to be learning, continually be learning. But when you sure. really, you know, when you have that knowledge that you, that you have, act with confidence in it while still retaining that humble posture, right? Sure. And that you have always have something to learn. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's my hope. Cause I feel if God's calling you to be in a certain place and you have learned and you've taken that and you've gone through and read the roadmaps, you've talked to these different people and they're giving you the advice and you have, and you're learning this stuff as you're going, I have a feeling you're more than ready to go out and do this work that, that is before you. So Absolutely. I just want to encourage and, you with that. You know, and that's, that's why we want to hear from people because yep. <laughs> we've got a, we, you know, we, we've got a, a bunch of you that are listeners that are out there that are in process that are in the middle of figuring this stuff out. And, and so, you know, help us as we, you know, as we continue to try to be part of this conversation, we, you know, we want to learn as well. And, yep. and many of you are in places where God is using you to do um, amazing things and to, to put feet to this vision and you're learning things that are valuable to be shared with the, you know, the rest of the body of Christ. So, you know, please let us know. We'd love to, we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to, love to share. Maybe we can get you on the show, you know? Absolutely. And, you know, and I will tell you just if, if you want to get someone on the show, the easiest way to do that, go join the Facebook group and answer the post I just did this last week. And just respond on there. There's already been three people who have said different people. They're connecting me with them and we'll hopefully get them on the show soon. Takes two to tango. I obviously have to ask them and they have to say yes. But my guess is if we're talking to people and they referred to us, chances are they're going to be on this. And I have no doubt that if you guys are referring them, that they have a great story to share. So definitely encourage you that. But before we get uh, to sign off today, Rick, you are excited to share a resource, a recommendation Um, with us. And, you know, I'm excited because I don't even know what it is yet. So it better be good, man. Yeah. So so I kind of held this. And and this is like, I'm probably going to, like, I'm probably going to get a phone call over this one. But, but it's a book that was written by a guy who's really a great friend and somebody that I, you know, that I love. And I just haven't picked this book up in particular. Uh, but my friend, Robbie Gallaty, he's the pastor of uh, Long Hollow Baptist Church in, in Nashville. 
Hendersonville, Tennessee, church that's engaged in orphan care in, in a ton of ways. CAFO's been there and has mm-hmm. been at, at Long Hollow before. And Robbie, I have known Robbie since he was, since he was a, a young seminary student. And he, he put out a book a few years ago which was one of those that I picked up and immediately put on my Kindle and just kind of never got around to. And so I picked it up in recent days, but it's called forgotten, the forgotten Jesus. How, how, let me make sure I get the, the subtitle right. It's how Western Christians should follow an Eastern rabbi. Mm. And, and I just, man, I love it. it. It's, it's a, Robbie's an incredible thoughtful writer in, in discipleship and, and just in, in helping and encouraging people to follow Jesus. But he really kind of talks about the process of how rabbis taught and, and like what that whole, but, but it's, but it's a, but I have to say out of all of the kind of out of all the things I've read about this, this is sort of the most balanced and it's also the most really inherently applicable to, to our lives and to our context and to, to the day in which we live today. And, and so I, you know, I'd really say, go out there, grab a copy, pick it up, The Forgotten Jesus by, by Robbie Gallaty, and, and really some, some really insightful things about what it looks like to follow behind Jesus and, and to learn and what it looks like for us to put the, the model of discipleship that, that Jesus actually employed in the Gospels into practice in our lives. Yeah. No, that's... That sounds awesome. I'm I'm just glad you didn't say after after you said that, I thought you were gonna say In Pursuit of Orphan Excellence was the book that you hadn't <laughs> picked up yet and actually read. So I I was just I was relieved actually with that buildup. I'm not gonna lie. So Robbie, I'm sorry that Rick put it off so long, but I just relieved it wasn't in pursuit. That's all. So that's good. That's that's a yeah, that's a I, win. Absolutely. I'll, you know, and I'll get around to in pursuit of work. I know you will. These days. I, I don't know. know when, but I'll finally, I'll read it at hey. some point, Phil. And then I, and then I can, then I can endorse your book and tell people to read it on this show. How about Did, that? That's, that's good. That's good. I know you didn't endorse it because we didn't know each other yet. Although, right. you know, I, so. you know, well, so that, I, I'm, I'm waiting until the 10th anniversary edition comes out and yeah. you have me endorse it then. Right. I can't wait. I can't wait for that day. I, I will. <laughs> Yeah, I just, it's just speechless, just speechless. I don't get speechless very often. No, so. really. folks, we, we better, we better wrap this thing up because it feels, it feels speechless. We've hit it. We've hit a historic moment. Let's, All uh, right, folks. So, you know, as always, we hope, I do hope, I hope and pray that, that you, I hope you pick up that book that Rick's talking about. I pray that you just listen to this stuff that we, that we've been talking about on this show. Other things that you're hearing on this podcast is the other episodes that we have. If you haven't gone back and listened to the, the first 150 something, I forget exactly what we're on right now, maybe 154 before this one, go back and, you know, maybe not listen to all of them today because I don't think you get through them, but, you know, listen to because There's so much good stuff. And I do pray that you use all of it to help you to understand how you can love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. 
CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.